coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazz World Report. You know, I never thought taking a taxi was going to be interesting until Uber came on the scene and all of a sudden a taxi ride seemed very cool, almost like having a chauffeur at your beck and call. Uber and similar companies seem to have shaken this industry, but there are concerns as to who or what companies like Uber really are. And equally important are how these concerns impact people like you and me. To talk about these issues, I have Eduard Slinen, the chief executive officer of over 12 taxi and limousine service providers under the corporate transportation group. Eddie started in 1983 at the age of 18 with just one vehicle, and a vision. He wanted to offer the best in customer service in the taxi and limousine business throughout New York City and the entire United States. And his ambitions are growing worldwide. He's your typical immigrant success story. And to that, welcome, Eddie. Good afternoon. How are you? Good. Well, just stay right there. And of course, because no discussion is complete in America without an attorney. So I decided to bring one along for the show. My second guest is Matthew Dows from Windells Marks. His practice focuses on representing ground transportation, technology and related businesses. But he also served as commissioner and chairman of the New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission for over eight years. Welcome to the show, Matt. Good to be here. Reeb. Thanks for having us. Great. I also invited Uber on the show, but guys, Uber did not respond. So business must be very good or they just don't like to talk. <laughs> well, Eddie, I wanted to ask you right up front, what is Uber and, and why should we care? Is it an app or a taxi company? Uber is a technology company. Hmm. That's how they describe themselves. It's an app mm-hmm. and a full technology company. And how do you describe them as? Oh, me? I, I, I think it's a transportation company with a technology solution to uh, more efficiently dispatch vehicles. Um, they've tried to talk about being purely a technology company, but they're really more than that because they are, as we all know, offering themselves out to the general public mm. to provide transportation services. And when you have a problem, you're not calling a dispatch company that's contracting with, like, Eddie's group. You're calling Uber or Lyft, the companies that are there directly. So I think that's pretty well established, especially in New York and in other parts of the country. I think that ship has flown. But Matt, I mean, um, is Uber a rogue app? Well, um, they they were operating in a rogue capacity mm. um, and still continue to do so. I mean, and what I mean by that is uh, the law says you're supposed to do X, Y, and Z. You need to get a license. You need to have insurance. You need to have background checks. And, uh, you know, in some jurisdictions, they just decided, well, we're going to use unlicensed vehicles and we just don't like the laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, the laws are 10 steps behind technology. So rather than changing the laws... We're just going to violate them and let everybody else catch up with us. And, uh, uh, and, and what they are doing now is they are starting to change the laws, which I think um, is a good thing in terms of process. But when you look at these laws that they're trying to pass in these different states, they're basically deregulating the industry and um, you know, raising a lot of different uh, issues uh, in terms of level playing field as well as um, the ease of getting a license and possibly jeopardizing some licensing standards and and potentially uh, creating uh, situations where there's less vetted drivers and people who aren't getting the right background checks. These are the type of things that 
concern me about some of the laws that are out there, but at least they're going through the process this time. For the first year or two, they were claiming they were doing ride-sharing, which they weren't, right. um, and that was a big marketing ploy. And, you know, they were just very, in, um, you know, um, you know, just obstinate and not willing to work with regulators. And one thing, you know, is I'm the I'm, I'm president of the group that represents the taxi uh, and limo regulators around the world, and we tried to work with them, and they refused. And um, that's very unfortunate. But why should people like me and, and the listener be wary of companies like Uber and Lyft and the others? Um, well, I think there are a couple of reasons you need to be careful. Mm. Um, you know, in some of these jurisdictions, they're not required to do the name check, the background checks uh, for prior criminal records right. as taxis and limos do. In many jurisdictions around the country, uh, including New York, you have to have a biometric fingerprint, which is 99% accurate. When they're trying to pass laws and they have processes where they use a name check, where they enter someone's social security number and any variation of a name which a driver will give them. So the information is good as it's coming from the driver. It could be a fake name, an alias, and sometimes you don't catch prior convictions. So they're putting themselves in a situation, unfortunately for them and the general public, um, that they're maybe putting a driver on the road that they don't know has prior, a prior criminal history, um, and everybody's entitled to be rehabilitated and to have a second chance at life if they've done something. But, you know, you're driving people around for hire in a confined environment in a, in a cab or a limo. Mm. And, you know, there is the opportunity to uh, commit crimes or to have a, a propensity uh, for disputes with passengers or to just be a sim simply an unsafe driver. And, you know, there's a history of these things happening um, in this country and we need to, in my view, have regulations. I'm not saying we need to have a million regulations on everything under the sun, but the, these are the basics that they're fighting. They're fighting the insurance that the limos and taxis have. They, they want to have a different level of insurance. They want people to just drive around in their personal cars. That's what they're trying to pass with these legislation. But are you saying, are you, are you saying that drivers in, in registered limousine companies like Eddie's, they don't have a criminal conviction? I'm not saying they don't have a criminal conviction. They go through a process where the government, mm. the Taxi and Limousine Commission, looks at all of Eddie's drivers, and they make the decision before Eddie even looks at them as to whether they're fit to hold a license. And they even get the ability to have a hearing in New York. If you were convicted of something 20 years ago, mm -hmm. it has nothing to do, let's say you were convicted of gambling or running a gambling ring, um, you may make a good argument that, you know, you should 20 years later be able to make a living as a cab driver. What's the relevance of that? However, if you were convicted a couple of years ago of driving while intoxicated or reckless driving or, or rape or some serious offense that you serve time for, mm -hmm. the law requires that you can make your case, but the TLC and the government makes an impartial decision on whether that person is a threat to the public. What, what the, tax, the transportation network companies are trying to do, which include the most prominent ones, Uber and Lyft, they're trying to pass legislation that says, you know what, the government should have no role in that, that they should make the decisions with nobody watching what they do, um, and they sh are using background checks that are based upon entering a name into a computer as opposed to going through the, uh, the state-authorized as well as FBI 
background check system when you the, when you go through the government background check with a fingerprint. Those fingerprints are highly accurate, mm-hmm. more so than plugging someone's name into a computer. And um, you know we're we're going to be putting out a study in the next week or so, which which basically proves that it's more accurate and it's better. And I think most people in law enforcement know that. If you, you talk to people who watch, uh, you know, uh, some of these uh, these um, uh, um, you know these shows on TV um, that talk about forensics. Most people in the general public know how accurate a, a, a fingerprint is. Okay, so you're and, saying uh, that look, the background, you're saying the background check is inadequate, right? Well, well, the background the background checks are better if it's done by the government and mm. done with the biometric print. Uh, if they want to do their name checks in addition to that, then that's great. You know, but it should not be in substitute of that, and it should not be on their own. It should be the government. That's my my view. Because look, I was commissioner for a long time. Mm. I've seen a lot of bad things happen. I felt it was my job to protect the public. And a company is looking to get drivers on the road. Sometimes um, they um, may miss something, and they may actually be subjecting themselves to lawsuits. To be honest with you, um, it's actually better if the government does it because if the government does it. Um, the government made that bad decision, not the company. And Eddie's drivers are all vetted by the taxi commission. He's not al- allowed to even get somebody with a license unless they've gone through that rigorous process. And I think that's one of the biggest issues facing uh, this debate right now is the background check. Okay. Um, Eddie's keeping quiet, which he's not normally used to, so <laughs> let's give him some time. Eddie, what are your concerns about why should we as the public be scared of using Uber? Well, Uber, it's a great technology mm. where we'll pick you up from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. However, it's all about safety. Ground transportation worldwide. It's a public coach. Public coach, it's all about safety. And when you're picking up a passenger, you need to ensure that that passenger will get to his destination in a proper, safe environment. Mm-hmm. Where Uber does not have that kind of standards. No way they can possibly have. In New York City, they have over 15,000 cars. There's not even a single moment they have any sort of training for their drivers or any kind of precaution uh, like in different companies throughout the industry. Drivers going for training. They go through sort of professional orientation classes, how to deal, not, not to exceed the speed limit, mm-hmm. go according to the standards. That's a very important thing when you transport passengers. They don't have nothing like that. You can become a driver with Uber literally in six minutes. In a lot of different surrounding states like New Jersey, anybody can get on their computer and become a driver, which is this is all about, really, I never heard this in years that I've been in business, that you can become a driver in six minutes without any kind of sort of background check, without proper insurance, because in New Jersey, there's nobody really regulates that. And that's where is a big problem that I have. Well, hold it right there, Eddie. <clears throat> Matt, very quickly, because we've got lots to cover. Insurance. Sure. Eddie mentioned insurance. Now, there are three people who have a vested interest of being in a taxi. One, a passenger, a pedestrian, and someone who's driving another car. Now, from an insurance perspective, Eddie mentioned that, you know, insurance is not... Uh, fully satisfactory with these Uber drivers. So if I'm a passenger in Uber, how does the Uber driver who's 
not got proper insurance, how does that impact me as a passenger? Well, it's a very good question. Um, the passenger needs to be aware of what insurance is in place, and they should ask those questions before they start using some of these apps or services. Mm. Uh, the, the, the last you know, 20, 30, 40 years in this industry, um, we have what's called 24-7 insurance. That, what that means is that most taxis and limousines are required to carry minimum levels of liability mm-hmm. insurance, as well as, in many instances, no fault that covers um, you know, your medical expenses, uh, as well as your lost earnings, regardless of who's at fault in the, inc- in the incident. And those laws are designed to protect people, to provide coverage, so that, that they're not left out on the street or in a hospital with any, any way of paying their bills and, and getting treatment, and that people are held accountable for their actions. The commercial liability insurance is required by law. Um, it's higher than the autom- ordinary passenger automobile. So you or I will, will, would drive our cars. We have to have a certain amount of coverage on our vehicles. For instance, we have to have a minimum of $25,000 per person if you want to operate an ordinary passenger automobile in New York State. Um, if you want to operate a taxi or a limousine uh, in, in New York State, you have to, as a condition of getting a license from the taxi commission, by law, carry a higher level. So for you and me, it's 25000 minimum per person. Mm-hmm. For a taxi cab and a livery and a black car, it's 100000 And for limousines, it's over a million. So those laws are designed to protect people. Um, and you know what? It costs money. It's a, it's a commercial liability No, but quite policy. simply, I mean, I mean, break it down so that our listeners can understand. If there is not enough coverage, that means if they're hurt in an accident, there might not be enough coverage for their medical expenses. Is that right? That's correct. There might be not enough or mm. there might be none. Remember, the 24-7 issue is a big issue that's being debated between Uber and the industry because every commercial policy, Mm -hmm. even if you're driving that car and you're not on duty, like one of Eddie's limos, if it gets into an accident because the the driver's driving home or taking their family on a picnic on their day off, that higher level of insurance will apply. Um, What they're trying to do is get what's called app-on, app-off insurance so that when the app is on Mm. or a passenger is being engaged, that's when the insurance applies. Otherwise, it doesn't. And they're just using people who take, like you and I, we can take our car out of, this, out of our garage tomorrow with 20, the, the lower level of insurance, the 25000 and we can start driving, and that's all that we have, not the higher level. And they have this supplemental policy, which a lot of people don't understand, um, and they try to explain it to the public, but a lot of insurance companies and regulators have issues with it. In fact, the, the state insurance commissioners for almost half of the states in the United States have issued what's called insurance gap warnings, mm-hmm. warning consumers that there are concerns about whether adequate coverage is going to be available for you because on your policy, Veep, and my policy, if you use our, our cars to carry people for a commercial purpose – taking people around and having them pay you to go from point A to point B, there is a provision in all of these policies that say that the insurance company will not cover you. That is a, a highly controversial part of this debate. But, you know, when you're the booking Uber, like when I'm booking Uber, I'm hardly going to be asking the guy, are you properly insured? And he's hardly going to be saying, no, uh, no, I'm not. 
Look, law- lawyers, brain surgeons, and some of the smartest people in the mm-hmm. world don't even understand insurance. So <laughs> to expect the consumer to understand all of these nuances, or quite frankly, to have to understand it, right. is really beyond what what we, we should be doing. The government is there to, to help sure that, make sure that there are laws in effect, that all these complicated insurance laws are there to protect the public. Mm-hmm. It's not one of these things where you know you go out there and you look at websites and you can easily understand what insurance is. Right. It's, it's complicated. So in that situation, I think the government has to step in, and it's not buyer beware. It's not the consumer sifting through you know 20 or 30 pages of legalese to figure out what type of policy they have. No, That's I- where the government should step in and make sure, you know what, we're going to tell you that that you have this type of insurance, mm. and that's the end of the story. And is it really fair for drivers who work for Eddie and companies like that to pay more money for insurance when they're trying to pass laws to say that, you know what, our drivers don't have to pay for that insurance? It creates an unfair playing field, and it creates an unfair competitive advantage because their margins for profit are much higher, and they're providing less protection potentially to the public. Okay. Um, Eddie? Yes. Are you there? I'm here. Be alert. Um, the problem with Uber is they have this model on, on, on surge pricing. I tried to get an Uber right now, just checking on my on my phone, and there were no Ubers available. And they had this whole thing about $5 gets you anywhere from 125th Street all the way down uh, into Manhattan. So they're having this so-called sale, but I can't find any cars. Um Unless, of course, you want to do a surge pricing scenario. Do you do that? We don't do that, and I believe this is distraction of the public. Mm. We had brought this to taxi commission. We brought this to different organizations in New York with surge pricing. First of all, taxi cabs doesn't do surge pricing. Black cars don't do surge pricing. I don't know why would they do surge pricing, because I think, in my opinion, this is ripping off the public. If somebody needs a ride, and the ride is, whatever the ride is, it's a rate, it should be the rate. It should be no reason why someone have to pay $70, $80 to go from downtown Manhattan to Midtown. This is absurd, because this is not the way ground transportation ever worked. And unfortunately, nobody's regulating that. And this is a sad thing that regular consumer ends up paying for something they should not pay. If you would like you any of our cars, like Allstate Private Car and Limo, we have an app. You will get a price on request. Mm-hmm. We'll give you a price, and that's what you're going to pay according to that price. But you see, when I you're stick, when, extra. when I get into the yellow cab and I'm stuck in traffic, the meter is still running. Yeah, even though Correct. the car is still. Correct. So you, you don't even do that? We don't do that. With Allstate Limousine, we have a flat rate. We have a rate, for instance, from Wall Street to Midtown. It's like $26. That's all what you're going to pay. But isn't your surge okay. rate already in the price? We have everything included inside the price. That's correct. And more importantly, mm. people do not understand, okay, what it means surge price. If you talk to a lot of different consumers that utilize Uber previously, mm-hmm. and they're saying, we have a problem. Like, for instance, I had a guest who were visiting Plaza Hotel. He went from Plaza down to Soho, $79. But it was a price searching. It was on a Friday afternoon. That's, I think, absurd. And they were, like, complaining about it. And there's no one to complain, really. You can't, there's nowhere to call. Uber does not have any kind of telephone numbers. It's, you send an email, and they will reply back to you. Look, this is their model. 
look, it's working for them. It's a wonderful thing. However, we don't work like that. I'm all about service. We have 24 hours, seven days a week representative that you can reach out to them, speak to them. You can send an email. That's how we choose to do business. Everybody has their own way to do business. Why? What do you think about this whole thing about what um, Matt was talking about in terms of the background checks? Well, I think uh, what Matt brought the right concern Mm. to the consumer, regular consumer, regular public, they don't understand all those nuances, what's the ground transportation got to go to. That's why we have this sort of regulations in place in every city, in every state. If it's in New York City, it's New York City Taxi Limousine Commission. If it's Latins operate in, in Nevada, in Las Vegas, we have NTA, which is National Transportation. All those jurisdictions, there's a reason for that. Basically, to rule and govern safety drivers, to ensure that every driver is background checked, make sure every driver gets into the car, knows what he's doing, all those things. In fact, in different cities, they have even schools at those transportation authorities that the driver have to attend like a, to a school, like three hours, four hours before he gets his limousine license or a hack license. Well, here's that my, here's my thing. I, I used Uber the other day. I've, I've used it about four or five times now. Um, I've actually had a great experience with it, except for one scenario where I was at the airport and um, – I used my app, and the guy's photo came up, and the registration plate of the vehicle came up. A lot of cars parked. I I couldn't find him. Uh, I kept looking for the registration plate. And then I had to describe who I was uh, and and, and the color of my suitcase, and then he flashed. And I found his registration plate different from the one on the app on Uber. Uh, And then when I got in... He said uh, he has two cars that he uses, and uh, the other one was at home. I mean, that was the only well, odd occasion I found, but the rest of my experiences, the drivers have been great. There's been water and candy in, in, in the car, so it's been like a very comfortable drive. Well, to bring you to your point, hmm. when it comes to managing this type of fleets yeah. and to ensure, look, what takes a driver to take a smartphone, which... Uber, all they give them, Apple phone. Mm. Apple phone, he can give it to his cousin, to his brother, whoever he wants to give it to. There's no way Uber can control that. And that phone will go, let's say, if they're going to have, hypothetically speaking, Toyota Camry with a TLC plate, which is a T plate. Everything is registered correctly in the system of Uber. However, that's not necessarily that that particular driver will be there because he can take this phone and give it to his friend or his brother who is not TLC-plated, who is not licensed, and will continue to go on the road and service the public without any sort of licensing. But, Eddie, when I use your app, when I use your app, do I get a photo of the driver and the registration? Yes, you do. You will get everything. More importantly, we have certain precautions that Mm. we have random checks to ensure that the driver is driving appropriate vehicle. What do you that mean by that? What's, it's our system. What's in our system? When I was, what's a random when the check? Comes on, a random check. We have people, okay, working for us. Mm-hmm. Well, among the drivers' committee, the drivers themselves have a committee where they elect drivers, security communication chairmen. Mm. They do their own policing. 
because it's a franchise company. It's a franchise model. Each driver with us owns his own franchise. Mm. And he wants to protect his business because he wants to create a value of his franchise. It's like you're buying a medallion. So in that space, what they do, they have their own elections. Then they choose their own committee. They go on the street, and they police their own situation where they ensure that car number one, two, three will be a fair one, two, three. That's exactly who it is. They already get to know each other in the face. They know who's who in every fleet. Okay. Okay. And that gives the safety and protection to the public that they're going to get into a real car, correctly licensed, because those guys are riding around, they're driving themselves, and simultaneously they do spot checking. Well, hold it right there, Eddie. Hold it right there. Another drivers. Hold it right there. Matt. Yes. Where does accountability start and end in all of this? Because, you know, um, it seems we can't sort of... There's the, the whole core mission of government is to protect people from crime. Uh, we have a safety issue that you've uh, brought to our attention. Um, should a case be made against Apple, say, to be responsible and remove a, 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 what is an unsafe app from consumers? Well, I mean, that's, that's something that people have talked about. Mm. Um, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example of the lack of accountability. I was down in Texas uh, in the Austin legislature uh, waiting for 10 hours to be allowed three minutes to speak after the Uber representative spoke about an hour and a half uh, before the committee. And two days before that hearing, which was going to allow their, them to do their own background checks under this law, mm-hmm. um, and there was a, an unfortunate incident where there was a, a sexual assault and the, the uh, alleged perpetrator was a taxi driver that Uber had hired in Houston who had a, a, a 14, I think was in, in prison for 14 years. Um, and, you know, it involved drugs and cocaine and et cetera. But, but clearly there was an issue that popped. And the legislature was asking the Uber representative questions. Well, what happened? Who's this individual? Did you approve them? She refused to answer the questions and said, sir, that's proprietary information. And and basically said, I can't, I have no information about that. And they issued a very terse statement to the public saying they're looking into it. And that's really a perfect example of how there's no accountability. Because, And I got up there and I said, you know what, if that was me and I was taxi commissioner, not only would I be called into the mayor's office asking why I let that person on the road and answer the questions, I'd be dragged, as you know, Veep, as a member of the media, uh, through the papers for several days explaining how I was responsible for letting this happen. Because it was me who gave out the license or didn't give it out. They basically, under these new laws, get off the hook completely. They basically say it's proprietary information. They have control over all of the information, not the government, mm-hmm. because they issued the license to them. And, and they issue, allowed them to drive under these new laws. And they basically just walk away from it and say, you know what? I can't give you that information now. And the press and everybody forgets about it. And it's over. But And then it happens again and again and again. That's a perfect example of what happened in the last couple of weeks of how there's no accountability. And look, I'm a, I'm a former regulator, so I can't necessarily say that all regulations are necessary. But the regulations that we're talking about, which is crazy that we're even having this debate, are the real basic stuff. Insurance, privacy, wheelchair accessibility, background checks, making sure that people don't get hurt. People have been hurt. 
There are people who have gone through in situations where, where there's high-speed chases and rapes um, and, and, uh, and assaults. This is serious stuff. And, and granted, there's probably a lot of trips that they do and everybody does. But government's goal is to try to protect people when they are unable to fend for themselves. We can't let private companies in a, 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 with an industry like this that has a, a history and, and the potential opportunity in, a call, in, in the confines of a car, okay, which is a closed environment where there's opportunity for crimes to be committed by the driver or against the driver. Those are things that traditionally over the years there has had to have res- regulations in place, and I still think that we need to have them. If Uber and Lyft want to go out there and do background checks privately in addition to that, Mm -hmm. that's great. And I think nobody would say you shouldn't do that too, but it shouldn't be a substitute for the government doing their job. But the lack of accountability, what happened in Texas in the last couple of weeks, um, that is a perfect example of what's going to continue to happen if these laws keep on getting passed around the country. And that's something that's highly disturbing to me. Maybe that we need to change some of the insurance regulations and make them better for everybody. Maybe there's a lot of good that could come out of this, but but when it, when it comes to public safety, we need to draw the line. And number two, when it comes to fair treatment, okay, taxis, limos, and Ubers are doing the same exact thing. They're transporting a person from point A to point B for money. There is absolutely, positively, unequivocally, no difference between what they're doing, other than they may have different types of vehicles, etc. So to have a, a, a less an inferior background check and less potential insurance or different insurance okay, Hmm. Um, or not provide accessible service when the other side has to, is just an unfair playing field. And I believe um, unconstitutional. I think uh, equal protection of the law requires that unless you have a rational basis for giving a certain type of license to somebody with different requirements for doing the same thing, unless you can think of a good reason for that, it will not be upheld. And I cannot think of a good reason for it. They're citing innovation and an app. Well, like Eddie, Taxis and limo companies that have to get uh, more expensive insurance and more rigorous background checks also have apps. So the whole thing is a, an inherent huge contradiction. And when you explain it to people, because the public doesn't know this, when you explain this to people, like I explained it to a representative at a conference from the Federal Trade Commission, you know, she basically said, well, I didn't know that. You know, I don't, that's not really great. And I think the judges with these 50 lawsuits that are floating around are ultimately going to decide in, in favor uh, of that concept and that they are going to throw these laws out, in my opinion. And then we'll be back at square one doing the whole thing over again. And hopefully there'll be a level playing field because that's really what a regulator should be doing. The government should be making sure that if people are in competition with each other in, a, in an open market um, and you're licensing and regulating them, that there should be fair treatment so they can compete equally with each other. When you have a, a, a valuation of $40 billion, these, you know, these companies that are out there, they're being painted as being big taxi and big limo. Um, we don't have that anymore. All we have now is big Uber because they have a lot of money and they can afford to actually do these things. So it begs the question, if they can afford, they can afford to give background checks to everybody. They can afford to pay for insurance for all their drivers. Um, it begs the question of how people could even in the media make reference to the taxi and limousine industry as being some type of controlling entity that is controlling the market. They're fighting for their lives right now, as you could see, Veep. The taxi and limo industry is on the ropes, and these are small uh, small businesses, most of them. 
the most Eddie's got a, pr- a pretty big operation that he grew from scratch, but most limo companies are one person with a limo, two, three, ten people mm-hmm. around the country. These are people that are trying to make ends meet. It's the most diverse industry in the country. Okay, it's the third most diverse industry in the country when it comes to cultural cultures and, and ethnicities. Um, after farm laborers and tailors, if you look at federal statistics, this is these are working people who've who've built many of them immigrants who've built a strong foundation in, the, in what they think is the American dream, invested money in medallions and businesses, and it's all being taken away from them because you have a giant coming in, okay, um, who uh, may have had a good couple of points when they first started. You know, maybe it's hard to break in, maybe there's too many regulations, but now it's the it's the tail wagging the dog. Now they are the dominant market force. They have more Ubers in New York City than they have taxi cabs. Well, um, it's it's kind of been turned on its head, Veep. If well, you know what Matt, I mean. it's it's a very different world right now. Is is then removing Uber would would it be a case for being unconstitutional? Because part of the Constitution does protect economic liberty. It's deeply ingrained in our Constitution, um, and and you know our founders intended to provide protection for occupational freedom. Well, I mean, are you questioning whether Uber should be allowed to operate? Yeah. Of course. Of course. Like everybody else. They did it in New York. Why can't they do it in every other city? They, um, in every city, they're trying to fight the regulations and have people just drive their personal cars around with different backgrounds. Well, in, in all York. of this, I mean, they, they, are, they are doing it. That, that, that implies that the politicians are in some way supporting them. Am I right? Uh, they are. They are. But in New York, mm. and I keep bringing this up because it's an inconvenient truth that if you bring this question up to them. They claim that they're a technology company, not a transportation company. Right. They claim that they can't get drivers unless they have their own background checks. In New York, they competed fairly, entered the market, and and have taken it over completely and unequivocally without any unfair advantage in a general sense. They got a license. All their drivers are licensed. They have insurance like every other taxi and limo. Their drivers get biometric fingerprints through the TLC. Mm-hmm. So you have to look to New York to say, you know what, if they did it there fairly and squarely and they competed and provided uh, an alternative service and competition, why can't they just do the same thing in other cities? And that's the big question mark in my mind. Um, and, uh, and rather than spending millions and millions of dollars on, on um, I guess uh, we'll leave lawyers out of it, but lobbyists and <laughs> political contributions, <laughs> it's okay to spend money on the lawyers. Um, what, what, what I think um, you know, is happening is that they could be spending that money on just getting the background checks done so that consumers can feel confident and safe when they take uh, one of these services. And, and that's really the big question mark I have. And um, you know, I have my theories on why that could be, but um, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to monopolize your time. Eddie, what do you think? Why do well, you think? Go ahead. What Matt have said, I have to agree with him in a lot of different things. Mm. The only thing, like I would say again, in New York City, there's no way impossible they can control fifteen thousand cars of safety, precaution, and all sorts of different things. It's just impossible. They don't. They don't. They don't get up. They don't have the experience. Uh, to do those type of things. That's where is my fair competition. We always respect it. It's in a comparable field. It's all well and dandy. We've been in, to, in the comparable competition for years in New York and other parts of the country. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's all about safety. Uber is a, is a perfect 
and it's a wonderful project, but does not strike to be exactly safety. Mm-hmm. That's where everything where it comes to it, and that's where the the major problem that have we you, see as an industry. Have you lost taxi drivers and who've gone to Uber? Yes, we did, and they came back. A lot of guys left. A lot of guys came back. And the reason they come back, they said, we don't want to be a cab driver riding the streets up and down for 8 to $12. It just makes no sense. But if they're, they're driving, if they're driving, if, if they're driving during surge pricing time, during peak hours, they make a lot more, right? That's exactly correct. That's exactly correct. Uber is more like a yellow taxi cab model. Basically, they're trying to more compete with the black car versus the I mean, with the yellow taxi cab versus the black car. Mm-hmm. Because yellow cabs uh, are riding the streets up and down in order to get a fare. That's exactly what the Uber driver has to do. He cannot sit in one place. He's got to continuously go up and down Manhattan in order to get a fare. With the black car system, he doesn't have to do that. He could sit in a particular zone wherever he wants it and book into that zone, and the job will come to him. That's a little bit different model than Uber has. Does Uber have a and lot of... Uh, lawsuits against it? Well, it's a public knowledge. I mean, if you put on a Google alert, they mm. constantly have something going somewhere. I mean, I was not able to give you that answer. Probably Matt will be a perfect uh, guy to tell you that. What's transpiring in that? Matt? Well, yeah, th- well, there there is a plethora of lawsuits out there, and they're growing by the day. Um, I, there's more than 35, maybe even 45 lawsuits. I, I'm losing track because there's more that, that, that have been filed. Uh, the people that are bringing the lawsuits, they're drivers. Mm-hmm. They're passengers, including disabled passengers. Um, there are uh, obviously governments like uh, St. Louis, Missouri, and, and others, uh, Tampa, Florida. They're actually suing to stop them. And, and then you have the incumbent industry, the taxi and limo owners, who feel they're being unfairly treated. And there's all types of claims. There are labor, alleged labor violations. You know, there are class actions where drivers uh, for these companies feel that they're being treated like a uh, Employees when they're real, independent contractors when they're really employees. Um, though there are class action lawsuits about that. Um, there are environmental lawsuits claiming that the government putting all of these extra cars on the road is creating, um, you know, pollution and there should have been an environmental impact study. There's racketeering violations, uh, alleged false advertising, uh, unfair competition. Um, and they're complaining think, uh, about unfair competition. The, the taxi the taxi owners oh, are taxi complaining owners, okay. that there's unfair competition because this, the government has and the legislatures have allowed them to operate without uh, licenses without the, the same level of insurance creating an unfair playing field and you know there's so many legal theories and claims out there mm-hmm. um, and the, the, you know the, the wheels of justice turn slow so by the time these lawsuits reach fruition and they're filing motions to dismiss and there's a lot of motions being filed that are delaying. Uh, the defendants are delaying the, the lawsuits, and so there's a there's a window of time before the hammer falls, where there's a desperate attempt, I think, to gather market share and get as many downloads of their app and as many drivers on their network as they possibly can. Because if if the lawsuits end up being lost by them, then we're talking about the whole paradigm, the whole system is going to be reworked, and by that time they're going to say, wait, wait, I'm too big to fail. 
<laughs> you gotta you gotta accommodate me. They're already kind of saying that in some ways. Um, and they're treating this entire thing like it's a political campaign, and it's very unique and very interesting, and I never thought I'd see something like this in my lifetime, but it appears to be working, and I think they're winning right now. But the tide could turn. There's a lot of negative media reports. They've damaged irreparably the, the brand of taxi. Mm-hmm. Taxi is now almost like a dirty word. But they're suffering, I think, a little bit of brand damage with all these incidents that keep being reported. And I do believe that there's room for a major secondary player to come into the market, um, one that would market themselves as safe. But it really is going to take hundreds of millions of dollars in marketing to get that app uh, you know, uh, across to consumers. Because remember, they had a lot of free press just by – violating the law in these different cities, the press would report it, and they didn't have to spend a, a cent on any of that free exposure. And amazingly enough, and this is what I missed, I missed the boat when this first started happening, um, I didn't understand that there's this in, this community of people who are in, work in Silicon Valley and uh, involved in technology that just want to disrupt things, not from a technological standpoint, but disrupting things by violating the law. But are they, is, are they violating the law or are they just doing the bare minimum that's required? No, there's no question. They've been issued cease and desist letters in a ton of cities that there are laws requiring licenses, and they just openly went out there and said, we don't believe in the law, and um, you know they, they, they decided that they're not going to follow it. And, of course, the, the media picks up on that. It's a great story, right? We have a maverick, we have a renegade, we have a rogue app. Um, you know, it's certainly, in my view... You know, it's not. This is not a ground for civil disobedience. So it's a, it's a civil <laughs> it's a civil offense. A, it's a civil offense, not a criminal offense. Oh no! In some instances, it is a criminal offense. In some jurisdictions, it's a crime to drive without a license. In fact, I believe that there's a there's a warrant that's been issued in Korea, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. You know, it's taken more seriously in some jurisdictions when it comes to criminal laws. Now, I'm not saying that that's the right approach. Um, but what what I do believe is there should be an equal playing field, and if you don't like the laws, let's work to change them. And it took them two years to start even having that discussion. Um, but by then they had made such a mark that the money kept flowing from the investors because this thing appeared to be working. There's a community of younger people that love technology and feel that the law should take a, sec- a second seat. You see the phenomenon with uh, Airbnb and the sharing economy movement. And mm-hmm. um, that's something that I think a lot of taxi owners and, and, um, and people like myself didn't see coming at, at first. When I first heard of it, I said, oh, this is not going to last. But then when I saw like that the, 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 this movement in the U.S., which is a generational, I think the millennial generation, um, is, this, is, this is some of their thought process and philosophy. It's almost a libertarian type of philosophy where you know, the government should not be involved in such things. Um, and I think you know, maybe there's some arguments to be made on both sides, but there's always somewhere in the middle that you need to meet. And I think that where we need to meet is that when it comes to safety in people's lives, we can't compromise the regulations. That's really, I think, where the line needs to be drawn. I mean, could you imagine if this was done with airlines or with drugs? Um, you know, in a highly regulated industry like the Food and Drug Administration or the FAA, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you decided that you were just going to open up your own airline and not get FAA approval, <laughs> do you think you'd, you'd last for more than one day? Um, you know, they, they kind of took – what happened with here is that they realized that a lot of jurisdictions didn't have – a lot of enforcement offices. Right. So you could violate the law and nobody would stop you. Because in Washington, D.C., they have like a handful of officers for an entire 
uh, an entire city. And, you know, you have four or five people enforcing the law. You just can't stop people. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing phenomenon. I, it's not being replicated everywhere. Europe has a very different uh, viewpoint of things, and mm. they push back on, 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 on such things, and they value the privacy of data a little bit more. There's, there's a right to be forgotten law in the U.K. Well, let me ask you Times one thing. Times are changing, and, and, but we'll end, up, we'll end up, I think, overall in a better place at some point. Well, Matt, let me ask you one. So three things Uber needs to do. Better background checks, better insurance, and better training in order to come up to the standards of where Eddie's at. Is that right? Uh, well, what, what, what they need to do is they need to acknowledge that they need to do whatever the taxis and limos are doing. Whatever that ends up being, mm. okay, it needs to be the same. But on the background checks, I agree with you. And let's not forget wheelchair accessibility. Okay, people who are disabled, mm. they want to use Uber too. Okay. And in a lot of jurisdictions, while they're trying to provide the service, um, like in Seattle, they basically say, let the taxis do it. Mm. You know, well, for a disabled individual, it, you know, maybe they don't want to take a taxi. Maybe okay. they want a limo type of vehicle. All right, take a deep you breath. Know, and that's, let, that's not right. Let Eddie chat now. Don't hog it all. Sure. Eddie? Sorry. Yeah, well, I happen to agree. Listen, this is an even field play. If they came up to your standard, Eddie, if they came up to your standard, would they still be able to be in business? That's a questionable thing. I don't believe they're going to be able to meet that kind of standards. Mm -hmm. Our standards are very high because we're all about safety. And that's why every single, if it's a consumer or a business user, they can depend on CTG, on Corporate Transportation Group, for every possible way because not only do we have our drivers, they with us for a long time. Mm. Each driver cares about the business because he owns a franchise. It's a little bit different model. Okay, we are governed by the by the AG. We do everything correctly, and that's where people, when they get into a car with corporate transportation group, like one of our fleets, Allstate Limousine or NYC Two-Way, you get in the car, you know you're getting in a car that it's well recognized, well respected, been in the market for many years, and know what they're doing. That's what it is. They need to be in the same sort of level field. They've got to follow the same rules and regulations, like Matt said. There's nothing wrong to be out there, do what they're supposed to do, as long as they, we are all on the same field. Taxi cab, black car, livery. That's what it is. They have to follow the same rules and regulations. But then, if they did everything that you expect them to in order to come up to your level, uh, would it impact your business or would you impact their business? I think... It will impact their business. I don't believe their product is a good product. Don't misunderstand me. But it's not a stable product. Mm. You don't know who you're going to get. Like you said it. You were at Kennedy Airport. You were called for a car. You didn't know who, who picked you up because a different guy came up on your app. That's a big difference. It's a serious issue. You don't know who's behind that wheel. You don't know who's that driver. In God forbid they ran the accident, you don't know what kind of plate he had. You don't know what kind of insurance he had. That's a major problem. But Eddie, Where Eddie, in any black card jurisdiction in New York mm. City, they all have that. But Eddie, I mean, we know what they do wrong. Obviously, they've been doing something right. Um, for me as a consumer, I just find they've made the uh, taking a taxi sort of convenient and fun. Uh, it's almost like the iPhone versus the BlackBerry. Like, you know, it's part of the new creation of the on-demand economy. What, what good lessons have you learned from your opponent that you now bring forth to your customers? 
we have learned that the app it's a wonderful thing it's a convenience mm. it's all about the app technology which drives and motivates today it's yeah. the new sort of century for all the ground transportation worldwide and a lot of companies are doing that they're already coming out with their own apps came out some of them some of them in the middle to be out there i think it's a matter of time till everybody's going to have their own app and their own technology okay it's a white label app a lot of companies offering that mm. and that's what it's going to be so the consumer will have a ability to order a true black car right from their smartphone make a reservation if they choose to or on demand those apps are available so it's easy for you to be like them but it's very difficult for them to be like you so my last that's, question that's to you correct. Eddie before we come to the end of the show do you think Uber will ever get out of business my belief I will give estimated time they will be I think in about a year and a half they're going to have issues because they cannot sustain what they're doing the same way it's just it's just going to come and haunt them gentlemen thank you so much for sharing all that map it was great having you you're very welcome thanks for taking thank the time with us thank you Eddie thank you very much ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening your comments and your followers so very welcome on my twitter account at vip jazzwell and my facebook page just type in vip jazzwell report also let me know what you think about today's show a special shout out of thanks to my wonderful team william sanchez and rick booser i wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your family and loved ones and until next sunday have a productive and a very happy week ahead 